0: All right. so hopefully everybody has an outline, it should say Matthew 26 at the top, a divine wake-up call, and um, before I move along with that message, I just encourage you all, take advantage of this time for baptisms, we're re-engaging in lots of things, and uh, you may not even know, you know, if you should be baptized, maybe you're newer to the Lord, or maybe it's just something you didn't take care of, at some point in your Christian walk, no worries, Uh, just uh, come, and... um, will help you uh, understand how to do that. And um, it's very simple, actually. We have just a little class during the message uh, next Sunday, and then we have the baptismal set up. And actually, we'll probably end up doing some on uh, Monday night in our service as well. And also, also want to remind everybody that uh, we have our Wednesday night classes that have been continuing on, and they're being great, very well attended. And we have a prophetic class. We have... Uh, Uh, a class that I do called Life in the Spirit. It's where I meet all the new people. And uh, if you're newer here and you want to get to know me and kind of the DNA of our church, I've just been doing this for years and years. And so uh, we just meet right here. And uh, it starts at 6, worship, and 6.30 is when we actually start. So if you need to come a little late, you can. It's something for kids all the way from little kids all the way up uh, through uh, high school. Um, We have, actually, it's junior high, isn't it? High school or junior high? Somebody tell me quick. Junior High. Oh, it's both. We do both on the same night now. I forgot. Yes, Junior High all the way through high school. So bring your kids with you and uh, we'll have a great time. And uh, we've just been having a great time in our classes so far. And um, so, you know, a lot of you want to know more about the Lord, but also the classes serve as another way, uh, just a way to get make friends and get to know people. So I know people have been doing that. They just go from class to class. You know, every, every, we do this three times a year, and just getting to know more and more people, making friends and, and that kind of thing. And Sometimes we have very, very specific classes that are very uh, unique to your place, where you're at. Uh, so anyway, I just want to remind us that we're doing that now. And we had to stop that for a while, and uh, it's been great to have those revive over the last six months or so. So uh, what I have in the outline for you today, I call it a divine wake-up call. And um, some of you know the world's entered into a time of great testing and trial. That's no, like, <laughs> great revelation, isn't its is it? But interesting thing is uh, I think this season is a little bit different than other seasons we've been in. There's been other worldwide trials and stuff, but um, this one, because of the dimensions of it, has uh, a feel of even antichrist things that we haven't seen in a long time. And so the enemy is not as clear. Uh, sometimes it feels like it's in our own backyard, right? Uh, meaning as opposed to maybe an army uh, from overseas that's attacking or some cause overseas. And so this has been been really, really personal for a lot of us and then of course this plague that's been on us. has uh, just been challenging to every household, but it's, the response to it's fascinating how people are responding and all, but One thing I think the Lord's trying to do with us all is give us a wake-up call, just help us to actually know Him, walk with Him, be healed by Him, encouraged by Him. And uh, even the church, I think, is getting a refresher course. And so the responses that we're all making are varied, but the key issue is what will be the church's response, what will be us as believers, our response during this hour, and more specifically, what will be your response for your family, for your household? And I know... In my household, we're just making all kinds of decisions, trying to figure out, you know, do this, do that. It's very interesting. Households are split and divided sometimes and trying to figure out moving. uh, What do I move or do I stay? All kinds of things are being evaluated right now. And the thing is, uh, the critical thing is we're going to see is that we have a lifestyle of intimacy with Jesus, a lifestyle of prayer, because we're going to see this is the main way that we defeat these enemies and actually hear God's voice. And so I think God's taking us through a whole other season of learning what it is to pray. I just think it's very interesting as we look at Jesus' life and just consider what it means to enter or fall into temptation. Uh, and I think temptation is another way of saying testing or trial. The whole world seems to have fallen into it, and many of us individually are fall, have fallen into a time, a season of testing, right? So Jesus went through, of course, a great t- time of testing and trial. And I want to just read from Matthew 26, the hours just before he died. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now I don't think those guys, the moment he mentioned that, had any more in their mind that that would happen than the man in the moon. So this is, like doubly, why this is important. This is the disciples that have been walking with Jesus. And a great time of change was about to happen, and they were unaware. It caught them completely by surprise. Then he says, but after I have, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So the key thing that I'm talking about here is, this is a divine wake-up call for us. Don't be scattered. There's lots of ways to be scattered. We still know people that haven't even darkened the door of a church for a year, maybe, longer. But not just that, that's one thing. And of course we have our live stream and all that, but just their whole attitude toward God, their life toward God, their way of walking with God. See, last time I checked, Jesus is still on the throne. And we still do the things that we did before, but maybe even more so. This is a time for more, not less, even though some people have gotten so scattered and, and uh, so um, maybe uh, have fallen into such great testing that they have not made their way back even to simple things in the Lord. Maybe even lost their hope, gotten confused, and especially lost great promises that maybe God had before this trial. right? And uh, they didn't go anywhere, by the way, (laughs) as we're going to see. I will strike the shepherd, he said, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Of course, he's referring to what's about to happen to him. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Yeah. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. The great Apostle Peter, upon which the church was to be built, the revelation that he had of Jesus Christ is faltering a little bit. He had entered into this place of testing. And so, Jesus was actually, in uttering what he did, he was giving them a divine wake up call. Hey, guys, it's time. There's about to be some trouble here. I want you to be aware of it so you'll get through the other side. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Could it be that we as a church and individuals could be so unaware of the situation around us and the world around us that we are in the same place? We look at these guys and think, how in the world could they have, wow, Jesus Christ. They've been raising people from the dead and he told them he never lied to them. How could they have missed it? Well, that's the central question for us. How can we miss it? How can we miss God this time? How can we miss the actual blessing that God has for us? How can we be in such a place that we don't even hear God's voice when he's telling us not only general things? I think there's been a lot of speculation and general prophetic words, but what about you? What are you supposed to do? Do I stay here or do I move? Do I... Get the immunization or do I not? <laughs> and Do I listen to that neighbor across the street or not? Do I, you know, fundamental things right down to the core of our family life. Do I put my children in this school or that school, right? Yes, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. It's interesting. Even Jesus needed his friends. One of the greatest tragedies of this time has been the sense of isolation. One of the stupidest things you could do is isolate yourself during a time like this, in a time of tribulation. It's really, really dumb. I'll show you why as we go through here. You actually need each other more, not less, which is really the great tragedy of this situation that's happened. you know. So the live stream has been a great help, but you need God with skin on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's really important. Those spontaneous things that happen in a place like this, a spontaneous prayer that's offered, someone that shakes your hand, a new person you meet who's just a solution for your problem. That's the way the body of Christ works. This is one big answer place. All these spaces. Someone here has an answer to maybe a job issue you have. I've seen this happen a hundred times. You come jobless. You meet somebody at church and then pretty soon, hey, here's a lead. Why don't you try this over there? Or a house. These are all practical solutions. But wisdom for your situation. What about my children? What do I do about them? What about this? What about that? There's a lot of whatabouts right now. It's interesting, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Even Jesus needed somebody else. He actually needed them in his humanity. He needed these people, these ones he loved. He needed them close. Jesus Christ, in a great time of trial, needed other people. Wow. Wow. Right there, I could just stop preaching right there. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as I will, but as you will. And I just think of all the people having to drink cups and I I, I feel so pained, especially of those who have gone to the hospital and isolated and all alone. Thank God for our nurses and spirit-filled nurses and doctors that are able to give them spiritual help and at least be with them during this time. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So what does it mean to enter or to fall into a temptation? To enter or fall into temptation. It's a big deal, uh, we can see, even in these verses. Well, the interesting thing is the Greek word for temptation can mean testing or trial. So we're talking about entering into testing, trial, difficulty, right? So God doesn't tempt anyone into evil, you know that, right? Even to a bad response. God's just declaring here in this thing, watch out, be prayerful, be watching, lest you fall when a time of trial and testing Comes. The opposite of entering into temptation is to be delivered from evil. That's a a prayer we pray as part of the Lord's Prayer, right? Matthew chapter 6, He taught us to pray. And one key part of that prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I pray this prayer all the time. Lord, along with... Lord, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Lord, and, and uh, give us today our daily bread and all of that. But part of our repertoire is lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So a part of avoiding temptation is your prayer life. And so one thing you can specifically say alone and together, Lord, lead me away from a place of testing, but deliver me from evil. As we're going to see, we'll figure out exactly what that kind of means because there's two ways we can be delivered from evil, led away from evil. The first one is, to avoid a trial altogether. Just avoid it, you know. Lord, lead me out of harm's way is another way of saying that. And if we look at Matthew 26, verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. He said, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So some cups aren't to be drunk, evidently. He was appealing to the Father that this one would pass. And I think it's very, very instructional, because I think it's absolutely possible for us to pray against evil like that. Lord, lead me out of harm's way. We see it in verse 42. He says uh, the same thing, right? And, and verse 44. I mean, verse 44. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. So he does it three times, right? So we see this actually in various powerful scriptures uh, where actually people pray and, uh, and God takes the situation away. And I I just love these places because they're so helpful to us and also show us how willing God is to take away a a trial, Uh, especially something of great difficulty and life-threatening or something that affects your life so adversely. So one of my favorites is this man, Hezekiah. I want to read this. He's a king. He lived in the time of the great prophet Isaiah. So how do you know that one of these great prophets said something that was going to happen? (laughs) So, and everybody knew it. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, they said something to you. It's going to happen. So look at these verses. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, Well, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. <laughs> if Isaiah, the prophet, said that to me, I probably would have just shriveled and said, Oh, my God, I'm dead. I'm, I'm done for, you know, because he was never wrong. But here we see one of the most beautiful things in the whole scripture. God changes his mind. Yes, God. Sometimes in response to our response. Sometimes he's just seen what we're going to do. Yes. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have faithfully walked for you, with you, how I've walked with you before you faithfully, and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people. This is what the Lord, the God of your fathers, says. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you'll go up to the temple of the Lord. I'll add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you in this city from the, king, from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. <laughs> what an amazing thing. And so they put a little poultice of figs. I don't know why, but they did, right? Apply it to the boil, and now it's gone. The thing is completely healed. What an amazing thing. And then Hezekiah says, he's still unnerved, because this is Isaiah that said it to him, and he hadn't been feeling very well. Lord, what will heal me, and what will... And that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now. Isaiah said, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or shall it go back ten steps? It's a matter, a simple matter for the Lord to go forward ten steps, said Hezekiah, rather have it go back ten steps. And the prophet Isaiah called on the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back the ten steps that had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So my question for you, oh yes, of course, that's King Hezekiah. Well, King Hezekiah was doing exactly like we do. He was whining like a little baby. He was not King Hezekiah. He was ruined. He was blasted. Matter of fact, he was so unnerved that when God said, you know, what do you want me to do? He says, no, nah, I, cur- I want that shadow to go back. Right? He, he was no man of great faith and valor here, he, he, you know. But the thing is, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed to God. That's the key thing. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a hero. A super prayer. A super faster. Just turn your face to the wall and ask God, Right? Wouldn't he what, wonder if he wouldn't have done that? You see, one reason why we pray that we'll not fall into temptation, fall into testing, is sometimes when we pray, we avoid it altogether. Yes, God. Wow. That's an amazing thing. How about Jonah? Jonah messed up a little bit. Notice that? So, what happened to him? He ended up in the bottom of a whale. <laughs> right? And for me, it's fascinating to hear him, you would think he would have just given up. Well, I screwed up this time. There's no way I'm getting out of this whale. <laughs> I made a whale of a problem for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so, he made a mistake. He was supposed to go one way, and he went the other way. It was his own fault that it was in the whale. Sometimes we have problems that's our own fault. And we think, well, I guess I just deserve this. But look what he did. He cries out to the Lord. And I think I have the wrong reference on here because uh, he actually having the reference there in Jonah here, uh, that he actually, it's what he did in response, right? But look at verse 10. What he did was he, uh, I'll just read a couple of these verses from Jonah 2, two his prayer. In my distress, this is verse 2-2, two, two, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me from the dead in the, deep in the realm of the dead I call for help and you listen to me. You hurled me into the depths and the very heart of the seas and the currents rolled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And He says in verse 7, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Wow. So he prayed from that space. And we see in verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways he relented and did bring, and not bring on them the destruction he had threatened and even the people that he had supposed to go to to warn when he finally went and did it they cried out to the Lord too and he saved them also now these people in Israel's time these people were ruthless mean people they're more ruthless than anybody you've ever seen on this planet well there's a couple of maybe exceptions on our planet right but these are ruthless people So when he goes and finally fulfills his commission and and they repent and they turn to God and cry out, he saves them too. Jonah disobeyed. He's in the belly of a whale. He cries out to God. God delivers him, right? And these Assyrians, they are wicked and should not, no way have gotten an answer to their prayer. All they did was turn to God in response to him and the whole city was delivered as well. Does that speak a few lessons for us today? You see part of this season is learning to cry out to God. It's a learning to pray, to intercede, and, and 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 to just go straight to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, regardless of the political situation, regardless of this or that, or all the media, or all the information, all this stuff, swirling around, swirling around, God's people, it's a divine wake-up call for us simply to ask on behalf of our families, our households, and also on behalf of the world. I don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans. The Ninevites were not nice people. You know why Jonah didn't want to go? Because he was afraid they would come and do what they did a few years later. He was afraid they were going to invade Israel and he didn't want any part. He didn't want to war He wanted to be destroyed because he knew what was happening. He knew eventually the Assyrians, because of the wickedness of Israel, would come and invade them. thing is, Before you evaluate the world, evaluate your own house and your own family, your own tribe and your own nation. And just come to this place. God's much more merciful than we know. That's why he's asking the disciples, pray that you will not enter into temptation. He's even asking, Almighty God, Jesus Christ, knowing, knowing full well that this was the plan that had been hatched from the eons. From the very beginning of time that he would actually come and be the Son of God, he's crying out to God in his last moment, still asking. This is a great example for us. Forget the theology. God, have mercy on me. This is where he was at. And he told the disciples, watch with me, help me, pray with me during this time. So there's two ways we can be delivered from evil. One is avoiding the trial altogether. And if we look at 2 Samuel 12. The great King David failed miserably. He got into an adulterous affair. He got a woman pregnant, and the prophet called him out on it and found out. And he, he was found out. So you would think that David would just, tick, you know, tuck his tails between his legs and just, you know, whatever. Or maybe even get angry and say, "So what? You know, whatever." You know what David did? He fasted and prayed. No. The guy that's declaring this to them, again, these prophets are no small-time prophets. I mean these guys are like scripture writers. So So whatever they said, like it was God's will, right? Now listen to this. David understood God so well. Listen to what he did. When he heard the news that the child was dead, David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. They went to his house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me, and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So David thought he could change the situation. Why did he think he could change the situation? Because he had been in trouble so much and seeing God change the situation so many times, even after his own failure, he had a track record. He understood that God was incredibly more merciful than he could imagine. And he just wondered, maybe he wondered if this was a time when God was drawing him out to cry and intercede that God would deliver him. But it didn't go his way. It went well for Jonah, it went well for the other king that we just mentioned, right, Hezekiah. But in this situation, David knew that it was over. Fine. There's nothing I can do. I can't go to M&E. actually stopped fasting and went to eat. But there's something about this appeal. Lord, deliver us from evil. There's something about this that the church needs to understand clearly during this time. It's a divine wake-up call for the church to know that you are not helpless. And if you act like you're helpless, you're going to get a lot of bad things happen to you. There are going to be bad things already. Bad things have already happened to us. But this is our time. It's our time to stand up and stand the gap for the peoples of the world. Now, there's a second way we can be delivered from evil, and it's enduring a trial and responding appropriately. Lord, help me not to fall into the middle of difficulty. Help me find a way of escape. So for us, the way of escape may mean decisions that we make for our families, decisions that we make in the context of this time leading that we're getting. Maybe there's a way of escape, a a way that God gives us while this thing is on the earth for our family, for our household. If you watch carefully, there are ways of escape even medically, ways of escape. Nobody's listening to very hard. But they're there. And you just keep your eyes open and keep your prayers open to the Lord and the Lord will help you find a way of escape, not only that way, but just in terms of enduring yourself. The way of escape for you may have to do with what do I do with my kids and their education. The way of escape may have to do with what do I do with my job. The way of escape may be what do I do with my living situation. What is it? But make sure that when you escape, you're not escaping in utter terror, but you're escaping at the will of the Lord because it will make a difference. Yes, thank you, God. Yes. <laughs> I had a funny thing happen the other day. I was walking down the street, you know, and I noticed a new neighbor. He just moved in. He said, howdy. He said, hey, how you doing? He said, he said, uh, I said, well, welcome. You're new on the block, huh? And he said, yeah, I'm just moving in. And I said, well, where are you from? He said, Austin, Texas. I said, you moved from Austin, Texas to here? <laughs> and he laughed. He's laughing really hard. He said, yeah, I did. He says, I really like it here. And I looked at him. I said, so do I. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> he says, man, the weather is amazing. And I love that ocean not too far away, you know. And and he says, man, it's so great. I get to do these, I get to live here and my practice at the same time and da da da, da. It's so crazy. It was so funny. <clears throat> so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These things happened, this is verse 11, to them as examples are written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. I think if... The culmination of the ages were coming on the early church. Now, where are we, 2,000 years later? (laughs) I think we're a little closer to the culmination of the age, right? So if you think you're standing first, be careful, don't fall. No temptation. Okay, now, temptation can be translated testing or trial. No testing, no trial, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Don't be absolutely shocked and overwhelmed. This has happened before, and it will happen again. And God is faithful. That's the key word. He will not let you be tested, tempted beyond what you, are, you can bear. I just want to say that in light of this thing that we're dealing with, but also for other things that are in your life. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is that a believer can't do it. They can't make it. It doesn't matter what it is, you can make it. I don't care how deep the addiction people have made it all around you in this room. I don't care how financially corrupted you've been in some way or lost a job or whatever. People will make, you will make it. The question is, are you trusting the Lord and asking Him, praying through this crisis or not, to be delivered from evil because that's your lifeline. And when you stop speaking to God about it, you cut your lifeline off. It's the way we make God number one. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So, Lord, help me to find a way, help in the middle of difficulty, help me find a way of escape. So while you're panicking and freaking out and you're losing your connection with God and your whole prayer life with God and praying with others about God, God may have shown you the way of escape already, but you can't hear it. No, you're too busy running, terrified like the rest of the world. God's already supplying supply uh, hatches of escape from this disease. It's already happening. And everybody's too terrified. So overwhelmed by it. They just can't believe. Right? One thing after another, more and more terror, more and more of this. So, in our situation, it may not even be the disease that's worrying you. It may be something else. But in every trial, God will give you the way of escape. And the key thing is asking for it. God, here I am. Great prayers, right, in the Scripture. One well, of the greatest ones is actually in the Lord's Prayer. What do you think it means to be led out of temptation? It's part of the whole thing. The Lord's Prayer, right? We just mentioned that, but i just see it again. Okay, there, here we go. Our Father, hallowed, in heaven. hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Father in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread. That's a nice one. Lord, I, I just need provision for my family, my household. Forgive me my sins, Lord, my debts, as I forgive other people. That's a big one. Letting other people off the hook that have been utterly and totally obnoxious and crazy. And then look at this. And lead us not into testing, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Ooh, that's an important little (laughs) sub-A-B. Be careful about your attitudes toward anybody. Your president, other people. Be careful. You need to forgive them. What? (laughs) Well, let's see. Forgive other people when they sin against you. Your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Even people that do really dumb things. And people around you that do dumb things. People that do things against you. Against your church. Against your livelihood. Whatever. Whatever. People of God are in a different place. If we didn't have another court of appeal, a higher court, a higher government, then maybe we could waller around in it, but we have another appeal. There's another way for us. The world might not find it, but we can find it. For all of our individual situations and for our corporate larger situation, for the entire body of Christ, for the churches throughout California and the world. So this is a critical thing. The divine wake-up call is... Don't wallow in these places. Don't go where the world's going. Jesus tells us the remedy for falling to temptation is to watch and pray. That's what he told his disciples in the middle of that horrible trial, right? The Greek word for watch means basically to be alert and mindful of dangers. The word is derived from agero, which means to arise or awaken. Be awake at this time. It's always appropriate to watch and pray because your real enemy behaves like a roaring lion, roaring lion, I can't say it, roaring lion, prowling for someone to devour. That's First Peter 5, 8 and 9. So he's always prowling. Maybe this season's when he's prowling a little bit more. But I got news for you. After COVID's over, he will not stop prowling. Amen. <laughs> Matter of fact, whatever you do, if there's another crisis after this one, don't get scandalized by it. We're going to talk to that about that word in just a moment. You know what I mean? Get over that, and then all of a sudden there's something else. So we just get over this now, and the next thing now, or whatever's now, and we get over it. Because guess what? The enemy's looking for someone to devour, but we can resist and stand firm, right? 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Let's look at that passage. Such a wonderful passage. How many know that the early disciples were no strangers to suffering and tragedy and difficulty? So this book is written in that context. The worst situation you ever could imagine. All the apostles lost their lives. People were persecuted, right? The only one that seemingly wasn't killed, but was banished to the island of Patmos, was John. So they understood, all of them. So they did business with Jesus. They birthed the church. The church was birthed out of these sort of conditions. In a way, we're made for these kind of conditions we've had it so good in our country so long but we we forgot where the church was born we were made for these situations we were made for this we can swim like little fishies we can swim in this this kind of water oh it's so dark and dirty and nasty Nah you were made for this you can do it you're a bottom feeder (laughs) you can handle it you're equipped uniquely be alert he says 1 Peter 5.8 And sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I just can't believe things are getting so bad that that this would happen. I I just can't. It's the enemy. He's looking for someone to devour. He's looking to devour a whole nation. He's taking whole nations out with a single bite. (laughs) Or trying to. But what do we do? Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Is that relevant for today or what? The church family all over the earth is in the same exact place. No matter what country you're in. Some countries are even facing even heavier things than we are. But all of us are in this difficult place. So, I love these verses. Surprise is just a um huge part of the enemy 's strategy by being alert, we can sometimes avoid trouble altogether. Just be alert of sober mind. the enemy's prowling around, so sometimes you can avoid trouble just by being alert, being aware right that 's key part of the strategy. But also we see again in verse nine, resist him staying firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of. How, how do we stand firm? How do we resist? Well, remember Matthew 6.13? It's part of the prayer. We pray for our daily bread. But we also pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. So your prayer is your act of resistance. And I'm just praying that during this time, there's a divine wake-up call for all of us to use this weapon more and more, interceding and praying privately and together. It's a powerful weapon. It is our main weapon to resist the enemy it's right a part of the original prayer, which, you know, if you've had such a good time and done really, really well and haven't had a whole lot of suffering, you can skip right over. But in times like this, it stands out like a red neon sign. (laughs) Lord, deliver us from evil, deliver us from evil, right? It's part of the prayer. And we know, and this is one of these times, that there are seasons where the potential for trouble is just more pronounced. And so that very night when Jesus was praying was one of those times. And that's why he was responding to him then the way he was, and that's why we should be responding in the same way. It's one of those uh, nights. I mean, it's not nearly as bad as other times of church history and things that people have been through, but still, it's it's one of those times. Verse thirty-one: This very night you will fall away, all fall away, on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the uh, flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you in the galley. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I will never, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the other disciples said the same. And then we go into this narrative of where he's telling them to watch and pray. Watch and pray. He warned his disciples of a pending trouble and not to fall away. Interesting thing about this. Fall away. This word, Greek word, is literally the word scandalized which is a very interesting word that means to cause to stumble to give offense to put a snare interesting thing the scandalon was a trap actually the scandalon was a trigger of a trap so you know those little traps for animals there's a trigger the animal hits the trigger and then and the the cage comes on top of him right the trap comes so the bait's out there so the scandalon was when you touched that trigger it was the trigger right and then the thing is fallen on you and you're you're trapped, right? So there was bait there. So it's really important that we don't take the bait. Touch the trigger and you're caught. And we get that word scandalized. It means you got trapped. Here's the way you don't get scandalized. Just listen to these words. Don't let this tragedy scandalize you, trap you. I see so many people scandalized. They are overwhelmed. They can't believe this is happening. And they're scandalized and they blame it on a political party here or there. Well, there may be people that are responsible, but who is ultimately responsible? Who's the one that the church has authority to deal with? The devil himself. He's the one. It's initiating this whole thing. So when we're doing all of this, let's go higher. Higher. Don't be scandalized by a bad situation you're in, blaming everybody and pointing this finger and only that a political party was was elected and if only this person was in charge and blah, 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 blah. This is okay. It's okay to be politically involved, but we've got to learn to go higher. And as the history moves on, we're going to have to learn we have to go higher, higher, beyond the governments, beyond the authorities, into God, himself. And we had to learn to do business with him. That's what he was telling them. Listen, resist. This very night you guys are going to die me three times. And while we're in the middle of it, while he's in the middle of it, he says, listen, can you come pray with me? Come pray with me? He's giving us the answer. This prayer thing isn't like a side answer. It's not like a kind of thing. It's like a consoling thing. Maybe if you pray a little bit, you'll feel a little better. No, this is the answer. This is the way you bind and deliver. This is the way you bind the enemy over your life. This is the way you find the answers to what you need. This is the way you escape if you can't escape it altogether, it helps you then, according to 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, it's the way out. God will give you the way out. He'll show you strategies. What's the way out for you? It might not be for somebody else. What's the way out? How do I get away? So we have to respect and honor one another as we're listening to God. For some of us, it may literally mean to move. Others of us, it means stay put. Be careful about moving, by the way. In itself, just moving is hard. Changing your entire life, especially if you've been in a place for a long time, it's just hard. And you have to reestablish friendships, and it's just hard. So be careful about that. But if God says to move, move. God says to stay, stay. If God says in Austin, Texas, for you to go to California, go to California. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. I think that was meant just for me, you know. <clears throat> safest place to be in these days is what I call on the wall, watching and praying and doing the things that are closest to God's heart. Now, we have an important football game today. The Buccaneers are praying the Rams, and the Rams are going to need a lot of defense today. Right? They're going to need a lot. And so, it's said in football that the best defense is offense. And I think it's true. And if we look at Isaiah chapter 61, we see the plan that God has for all of his people. This is the offense. See, what we need to do is we not only need to be praying against evil, avoiding evil, but we need to be doing God's will on the earth. The best defense is offense. That's why our church has been fairly aggressive during this time. Not that much. Other churches have been far more aggressive during this time. and We didn't need to be aggressive to be aggressive. We just were trying to listen to God as best we can and we just did what we needed to do. Sometimes we're outside, sometimes we're inside. We didn't spend a lot of time outside. Church, we've done a lot. I think the warehouses sort of inspired us because the warehouse, uh, we were given, you know, what do you call that when you get to do your job while everybody else doesn't? Essential. essential. <laughs> we were essential business. Interestingly enough, a lot of people didn't think the church was very Essential. Right, but I think we changed that. I think we realized we're more essential than ever. If anything was essential, it's the church. It's not just the world thinking. But it was interesting during being open all during this pandemic in the warehouse. It's very interesting because so much spiritual encounter happened there. So many incredible things, and God blessed and blessed and blessed us. Grew and grew and grew us to the place where we're just—it's just—we're overwhelmed even today of how much God's been doing with us. It's just been wonderful, right? But the best. Defense is offense. So this is our offense. This is what we do. This is what we need to continue to do, no matter what. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to blind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. The warehouse during this time was just such a wonderful place because so many people are so broken coming in there trying to find their way, so afraid. And we were able to give them a cup of water I had lots of divine appointments there, praying for people, and we were able to keep feeding them. We kept feeding all the way through. It was just wonderful. But can I just say that this wake-up call is not only a a time to hunker down and pray, I'll get to that in a minute, but it's it's also to act like believers. It's to do what we do. When there's trouble or crisis or problems, this is our best day. This was the case and the birth of the early church. The early church was birthed in this atmosphere. A horrendous atmosphere. You would think God would have picked another time and it wasn't so hard. They could take it easy a little bit, kind of get used to God. No. They went right in the face of it. Our ancestors. What an amazing response. It's the right response. So here's the response. To proclaim the gear of the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. That's us. And provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. That's what we do. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That's what we model. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a plant of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities, they have been devastated for generations. We're the ones that renew the ruined cities. We're the ones that take care of the devastated places. We're the ones that rebuild the ancient ruins. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you'll be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations and their riches you will boast. I like that one inserted in there. Could it be there's more money in this crisis than you realized? Could it be that God, as we do as well, provides for us in ways we just can't imagine? Our church has never been prospered financially like it is now in all our years. And the warehouse is going absolutely bonkers. And I don't know. I just got this feeling, these words of this offensive posture mean a lot more than we can imagine. I just want to say this. I just think God's better than you think. Way better. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Could we actually get a double portion during this time? Could we get a double portion of everything we put our hand to? Could this be the season of the double portion, not folding up our property or our land or our businesses or cutting our head, tail between our legs? No, 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 no. Maybe it's different. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something more here. And actually, I've been knowing people and I'm seeing it all around me. There are people who are actually experiencing a double portion during this time. And instead of disgrace, you rejoice in your inheritance. And so you'll inherit a double portion in your land, and ever, in your land, in your land, where you live. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes a sprout come up and a garden cause seeds to grow, to the sovereign, Lord will make right, uh, the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. That's what God wants. He wants praise to spring up before him all nations. He wants his name out there bigger than ever. And I think that's what you get when you have a wake-up call. You think, oh my goodness, this is the greatest time possible. This This is possible for all kinds of people. People are asking questions that they haven't asked in years. My own relatives, my own friends. This is an open door. This is a wide open door. So, the safest place to be in these days is on the wall, watching and praying and doing the things that are closest to God's heart. So, I just mentioned the things that are close to the God's heart. If you didn't catch it, look at Isaiah 61. This is what God likes. This is the stuff He likes. But He also likes this other thing. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. That would be you and me. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. So, I just think this is a time to give ourselves no rest in prayer and in intercession. And give Him no rest till He establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. In our case, Jerusalem is the church and God's cause. And the real Jerusalem. I mean, the literal Jerusalem too. But there's something else here in the background. There's something else that's so important for us to know during this crisis. This is part of the divine wake-up call. Certainly a cry cry of aggression to pray, a, a cry from God to be who we are, do what we do. What we know is right and it's important for the people to serve them and so on and so forth. Certainly a cry to prayer. But there's something overlaying this whole thing. and You can't miss it this season. It's always been there from all these years, but it's now coming to more and more of a pinnacle than ever before. It's in Matthew 24, 14. After going through end time passages, talking about the end times, Jesus summarizes really what this day is all about. And this gospel... Of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. That right there is what's going on in the world today. God is orchestrating it. Now, no matter what you think about Afghans and Haitians, Afghanistan and Haiti are two of the wicked places, most wicked places in the entire earth. Full of people who are wicked who don't know their right hand from their left hand. And now God's bringing Afghans and Haitians to our shore. What are we going to do about that? Well, as they come in the door, we're going to get them saved. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what we do. It's hard to go to Haiti. So, how about a Haitian neighbor? It's hard to go to Afghanistan. How about an Afghan neighbor? Our people are from our church are already touching Afghans right now as we speak. We could never have gone there, so the Lord brought him here. Now, I don't want to get into this whole thing about the border and all things. I don't know. But I just know they're here. So while they're here, here we go. Because this is God's thing. And this gospel of the kingdom, we preach to the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. He's more concerned about that than any other single thing. Any government, any plan, any people. He's concerned about the unreached peoples of the planet. and He's going to reach every single one of them. The Islamic nations are going to be at a big surprise. They're already being invaded. But they have no idea what's coming next. These millions and millions and millions of Muslims, though there seems to be this demarcation right now and this separation, it will not always be this way. God's invading. There has been more movement since 9-11, interestingly enough, more movement happened toward Muslim populations coming to Christ right after 9-11 than in all the 20 centuries before. All those centuries after the church, nothing, zero, nada compared to what happened after 9-11. There was a shift, there was a movement, and it's going on now. For heaven's sake, Iran is getting invaded with the gospel as we speak. These signs, these seasons, we have to be awake and alert to understand the bigger picture. And this is the bigger picture. We need to be watching and praying and doing what God does in these end times. The greatest defense is offense. We're on the offensive. These seasons and times, though we may not have wanted it to be this way, they're on our doorstep. Let's just help these nations into the kingdom of God. And then follow them back home. And send them back home. Oh my. And they are going back home, by the way. Amazing missionaries, amazing people are being sent to the nations. So the last thing I want to talk about, I call it Lessons from Laish. Laish, Laish, it's got to be Laish. Judges 18. And this is sort of a warning, a little divine wake-up call from a distant passage in Judges. So this is the story of Israel coming into the Promised Land. All the tribes had basically gotten their inheritance, except uh, for this one tribe uh, called Dan, right? So let me so I get the Judges here. Verse eight, chapter 18. In those days Israel had no king, and in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into the inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five of their leading men from Zorah and Esh, whatever that is, Tile, to spy out the land and explore it. These men represented all the Danites. They told them, go and explore the land. So off they go, right? So they go and go through the whole land, and they had actually stopped by this one area called Laish. And so verse 7, So the five men left and came to Laish, where they saw that the people were living in safety, like the Sidonians, at peace and secure. And since their land lacked nothing, they were prosperous. Also they lived a long way from the Sidonians and had no relationship with anyone else. No relationship with anyone else. When they returned to Zorah and Asheol, their fellow Danites asked them, how did you find things? They answered, come on, let's attack them. We've seen the good land and it's very good. Aren't you going to do something? Don't hesitate to go there and take it over. When you get there, you will find an unsuspecting people and a spacious land that God has put into your hands, a land that lacks nothing, whatever. So here's here's the principle here. These people, they're living in this spacious land, right? They're living at peace. But here's a couple of really critical things here that's really, really Important. Uh, So, this is a day to make solid relationships and depend on work together, right? See, they lived a long way from the Sidonians. They had no relationship with anyone else. I was reading this the other day and I kept thinking about it over and over again. They had no relationship with anyone else. This is a time for relationship and belonging and connecting. What the enemy wants to do is isolate you, get you disconnected from other people. This is a time for friendship, deeper friendship than we ever had before, deeper alliances than we've ever made before. These guys are living in a place, nice and peaceful, security, safety, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're about to be attacked. They have no idea. They're prospering. They're thinking everything's okay. They had no relationship with anyone else because those relationships with anyone else would actually help as the ally them. And actually, historically it happened in that particular area of the world, but at this particular time this wasn't happening. And I just want to explain this just by giving a couple of scriptures. One of them is Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12. Uh, to 12. These are wise scriptures uh, for this time that we're living in right now. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, One can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is just simple wisdom. You need other people. The interesting thing about this disease, it sort of functioned to isolate, but never did stop this need for connection. And even now as we move on, it's so important for friendships to be established, good godly friendships. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. That's a horrible translation of that. Let me give you the right translation of this. All right? It's very interesting if I can get this translation and kind of get it out in the way it should be. All right? It should be more translated this way. This is the literal translation I don't know why the NIV, usually the NIV is pretty good, but they really messed that one up. I went back and looked at the Greek and one of the like five translations got it right, the New King James Version. So here's how it should be translated. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all sound judgment. That's the literal, literal Hebrew translation. You can look it up. Four or five translations have it translated that way. I'm gonna read it again. A man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he rages against all sound wisdom. So you need friends. You need connection. All sound judgment is the one that isolates himself. This is a day that's isolated people a lot, but don't let that keep you. God will show you. He's big enough to show you how to connect. Even Great thing is we've had Zoom meetings and stuff, but I think it's more personal than that. I think we need to have friends. We need to have relationships. And even as we go into the future, it's so important, our relationships, our belonging, where we belong corporately, our friendships, our belonging, Christian brothers and sisters can pray for us. It's going to be more important than ever. And isn't it interesting that the enemy tried to do exactly that. Tried to separate all of us. Tried to isolate all of us from one another. That's his strategy. Because he knew this better than anyone. Matter of fact, the devil knows the scriptures better than we do, right? (laughs) Sometimes. So, this is a day to make solid relationships and work together. The citizens of Laish had no allies. No one to come and support. No one to help. Jesus looked for support from his friends in that very hour. Praying and asking God for help in He didn't find his own disciples. His own friends didn't come. But he looked for them. Can the Son of God do that? The Son of God looked for encouragement in his humanity. If the Son of God needed other people, needed their strength, they needed their prayers, you need other people. And by the way, his main thing that he wanted from them was for them to pray with him. That means pray must be important. Prayer must be more than we thought. Prayer must actually have something that actually works. Why would he pray Why would he ask for people to pray with him? That's so powerful. So, people that have friends that pray together, that prayers of agreement together. It's a powerful way in this hour to escape trouble and to move into grace. And I just think that we should never underestimate, just from another human being, I think we've all been going through this, just the wonderful power of Uh, of encouragement. And I just want to just read this from Hebrews, and uh, we'll close here today. I love this section of Scripture so much. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and believing heart that turns away from the living God. Okay? A, B. But encourage one another daily as it's called today. That's how you don't turn away from the living God. You encourage one another daily, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, alone, we get hardened. Alone, we crawl into places, and we start letting the enemy work us over. He puts ideas in our brain. We start thinking the worst. We start believing everything we see on the news, or everything that we hear from a, that's a bad report, because guess what? The news has bad reports because... Bad news sells. (laughs) Or at least something exciting sells. Negative or positive. But usually negative sells very better. Today, so that none of you may be hardened by sins of deceitfulness, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So we need encouragement. We need strength. This is a divine wake up call not to fall into temptation, not to fall into temptation but be delivered from evil. It's to watch and pray. It's to be together more, not less. It's to be dependent on one another more, not not less. And the safest place to be is in this place of watching and praying, listening to God's voice, listening to him tell you what to do. But also, the safest place is also doing what Jesus does. Because the overarching theme of this entire crisis and the whole thing and the, everything about your life, especially in this generation, is this gospel of the kingdom we preach to the whole world, and then the end comes. And if God has to bring people from Afghanistan to America or Haiti from, to America or shuffle the whole world or bring Iranians to Christ right and left, however He does it, He will do it. Because this is the overarching thing. He's after everyone, not just Americans, not just everybody. He's after every last place entrenched against the knowledge of God. And he's going for all of it. And this time now, more than ever before in the history of the planet, this gospel of the kingdom has been preached at a place that nobody has ever seen in all of history. You can record any way which you are. There are people that measure these sort of things. We have never seen anything like the movement of God in the present day. Are you aware of it? Are you a part of it? I tell you, if you aren't a part of it or aware of it, oh my gosh, how terrible. And if you die tonight and the angel says, hey, what about that revival going down there? What revival? I didn't see any revival? Don't do that. I'm telling you. Yeah, I might just at least say, my pastor's telling me about this great revival. I mean, it's on a scale nobody has ever seen in terms of raw numbers. An unbelievable season in time. So yes, there's great trouble, but there's also tremendous move in this Chinese of who we're all worried about. There's a hundred million believers praying for them. hundred million Christian Chinese in China right now. Did you know that? At least... We may think that there might even be 150 million of them. And those people pray. The world's not what it seems. Things are happening in unreached populations, strange places we've never seen. It's important for the church, for all of us to live in this wake-up call, live in this awareness, live in this understanding, so we can help our own individual lives and know what we're supposed to do, but also realize we can hold our heads up high and be part of a great, great move of God, the great uh, will of God going forth on the earth in this time and not miss it, but actually be a part of it. Amen. Let's all stand. I just think... uh, If we have the musicians come, I'd love for you guys to come. If you're anywhere in the neighborhood, that'd be great. I felt like it would be great today, if you have time, if you've got to go uh, just apply this to your life, but even now, why not pray now? Because I think I got your attention. I think the worship got your attention first. I think we're in a spiritual mind frame. You mean like I could ask right now for that situation I'm in? I could actually ask right now that God would invade and change. Oh, yeah. I just think it's a great time. And if you have to go, feel free. You have to get your kids, feel free. But I just encourage you take like two minutes, five minutes. And there are some of you that came in here and you literally dragged yourself in. You know why you dragged yourself in? Because the enemy's hammering you. Sometimes I get in these times in this season, where I get hammered. I mean, I mean, it's like the it's like heavy rain pounding on a tin roof. You know, you can't hear anything. You know, so that's the season we're living. But greater is He that's in you, and He is in the world. And we already saw the solution of this. Watch and pray. If it were a theoretical thing, that'd be one thing. But that's the power in your own tongue and mouth of a green prayer to get the rain to stop, to bind, and then also maybe even ask God for direction. God, what do you want me to do about this decision I'm making? Why don't you just make this moment, this first moment, if you haven't already, in determining that, asking God with a sincere heart, God, I'm I'm scared, I think I'm supposed to move, I'm supposed to quit this job, but I'm not sure. Would you please confirm this to me? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. About my children. They go to this school or that school? About this... Or that I think there's a lot of this or that. And if you're under a great amount of pressure, maybe you have a loved one that's in the hospital physically or you've been sick yourself, just ask God, Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from this trap that I've been in. Have mercy. God said, My house shall be a house of prayer. You know why it's a house of prayer? It's a gift. Not a duty. You get to pray. You don't have to. You get to talk to the one in control of everything. Including your own life. I just think that maybe some of you would even like to come up to the front. So if you'd like to, feel free. And I just encourage you, as we're just doing this song... Just ask God for things. Right now. and We're just going to spend this time worshiping Him. If you need to go, feel free to go now. But if you like to stay, and just ask God. God, have mercy on me. You know, if you don't even know what to pray, here's a great one. God, have mercy on me. He understands that one really, really well. He knows what you need. Just dare to say it to Him right now. You might even just haven't talked to God in a while. Just say, okay, God, I'm, I'm taking a time out from all the anxiety and fear. Sorry about the nasty things I said about everybody. Now, God, here I am, and I need this today. Give me this day my daily bread. Deliver me from evil. Isaiah said something like this. He said, you know, if you ask, you're going to hear my voice say, this is the way, walk in it. Some of you are making decisions about your jobs. Some of you are making decisions about your family. Lord, I pray today you would answer back in the next several days or weeks. You would tell them clearly, this is the way I want you to go. You do this. It will turn out better that way. Guarantee you. So Lord, would you hear the prayers that are being uttered right now in this moment, in this place. I'm not going to formally close. The service will close whenever these guys close. Meanwhile, be mindful of the people around you. Let them do business with the Lord. If you need to get your kids and go, feel free. I can feel a number of you just already moving into prayer. So just pray. Hear his voice. Lord, I pray you'd open their ears so they can hear you talking to them. I think you've been talking already, but I'm going to hear, Lord, in Jesus' name.